welcome to Margin Drive-In Podcast 154. My name is Terry Frost, and this time around I'm looking at a few things I've been watching. Uh, not movies this time, but it is a bit of streaming and television. I'm going to look at the three episodes of the fifth season of Black Mirror, and a few other things which I'm going to leave as a surprise until I get to them. So let me get the contact details out of the way, I'll let you know what I've been doing, and we can talk about some very dark and very timely science fiction speculation. Martian Drive-In Podcast happens every two weeks. It's a podcast of science fiction, fantasy and horror appreciation. Sometimes I have guests in, sometimes I'll have a round table. Sometimes it's just random, particularly when there's a Netflix Marvel Cinematic Universe thing coming up. Feedback is the bread and butter of podcasting, so you can put feedback through at the Paleo Cinema Cafe on Facebook. You can also email feedback to feedbackpaleo, P-A-L-E-O, at gmail.com. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com by going to patreon.com slash paleocinema for as little as a dollar a week. Uh, Just be aware when you're listening to the podcast, there may be some naughty words in it. So if there are kids around, you might want to listen to it later on. Okay, so how have you been? Um, I've got a cold at the moment, which sucks more than it should. Uh, a winter cold is much worse than a summer cold. Summer cold, you can at least you know, sit out in the sunshine, but a winter cold, you've got to kind of huddle in misery under a blanket. And that's pretty much what I've been doing since I got the cold at the National Science Fiction Convention Continuum 15 about a week ago. I had a delayed onset with it for some reason, and uh, the incubation period stretched out until the end of last week, uh, about Friday. It's now Monday. But about Friday, I started feeling pretty shit, and I've been feeling pretty shit ever since. And I know this is cheering you up for me to tell you that. So if this sounds a little bit staccato this time around the podcast, uh, it's because I've actually had to edit out some coughs and sneezes and other mucusy events which aren't really a part of what I want to say. But I do have some tissues and a whole bunch of other nostrums here which are going to see me through the podcast. But I might well muddle through. That's that's what you need to take away from this. Uh, the man cave is still looking good, except for the desk, because the desk is always a nightmare. So I haven't messed the, uh, the man cave up yet, which is kind of good, good on me for doing that, or for not doing that. But uh, a continuum. Continuum was good. I was I saw a lot of people that I only see about once a year, if I'm lucky. Uh, it was the National Science Fiction Convention this year. It isn't always, but it, some of the time it is. And so we all huddled down in Jasper's Hotel near the Queen Victoria Market in Melbourne and had a great time. Caught up with um, lots and lots and lots of friends. Uh, Sal had a table there selling her crafts and did pretty okay. Not fantastically well, but okay. But um, I did catch up with a few people who are Patreon supporters of the podcast and the YouTube channel. So it was nice just kind of touching base with those people and um, hanging out with them. I also got some business cards made up because I had $20 to spare. And I handed out a lot of those to people so that they've got a permanent thing there to tell them where the podcasts are and where the YouTube channel is and how to contact me and how I'm a YouTuber and podcaster these days rather than a corporate lackey. And by the way, as always, we are following the Richard rule again, which is that I have to start talking about the subject of the podcast by the 15-minute mark of the podcast. So I'm keeping my eye 
on the clock. Of course, I could cheat a bit if I actually wanted to and speed up the audio once I've recorded it so that you can get like 20 minutes of audio in before the 15-minute mark of the actual podcast. But that would be cheating and it would make me sound like an amphetamine auctioneer. So I probably won't do that. It's just a thought that randomly occurred to me. Anyway, what have I been watching apart from the stuff I'm going to talk about on the podcast? I've been going to one of my vulgar pleasures these days when I'm embracing Japanese pop kawaii culture. And I watched about a dozen episodes of Sailor Moon. Now, Sailor Moon isn't your go-to anime normally for guys my age. But I kind of like it. I like the animation style. I like the silliness of it. I like the kawaii of it. And when we were in Harajuku in April in Japan, I did visit the one and only in the world Sailor Moon store. And Sally was giggling. Um, in, it's in the shopping center in Harajuku, which is a very fashion, it's a fashion place in Tokyo, which is right near my favorite named railway station of all time, Meiji Jingumai. And so I went there because we wanted to go and take a look at Harajuku anyway. And so there's me in this little shopping center shop with about a dozen or more teenage girls. So I bought a few things. I bought um, a tuxedo mask, key ring, bought a little bit of Sailor Moon merch and just kind of got in there, got it done, got out and had a good time. So I'm a Sailor Moon fan. I'm not ashamed of it. It's a little bit like being a brony, only worse. But I enjoy it. So I watched about a dozen episodes of that while I was rat shit with the cold. And it was kind of like chicken soup. I will bring everyone's hearts together and unite them as one. And so that made me feel a little bit better. I watched it on Anime Lab because it's got the English dub there, which is a pretty good dub. The um, They also have the subtitle version. But the when you're looking at anime like this, you don't really want to go for the subtitle version. It's light, fluffy stuff. If it was a serious um, Kurosawa movie, for instance, I would definitely go for the subtitle. But with anime on the Anime Lab streaming service, if you're in Australia, you can get it really cheaply. It made me feel better. I also watched about a season of Young Justice, the Young Justice League TV series, and it's pretty good. It's got an overwhelming story arc for each season, which takes a year. Uh, Between season one and season two, there's a five-year gap, so you get a bit of a... Uh, change in the people who are in the Young Justice League in it. And yeah, the animation's sharp, the writing's pretty sharp. They've got some good um, comic book writers who are doing some of the gigs on it. The voice acting is terrific and it works. It's not dumbed down, which is the nice thing about it. And it does have a bit of an international bias. They go to Taipei, for instance, several times. There's two seasons of it on. Uh, Netflix at the moment here in Australia. The third season starts soon, so I'm definitely going to check out the rest of season season two, and um, I'm going to move forward from there because I'm enjoying it. There's no consequences. It's kind of low risk viewing, in the sense that it's an animated one, and you're not kind of get, getting invested in the characters quite to the extent you would with a live action um, piece of work. But yeah, that's fun. I also watched a Stone Tape, which is a Nigel Neal product. I think it was a television movie. In the 19, early 1970s, uh, it's about an ostensibly haunted castle where some serious manifestations are occurring. And it's discovered that the last feelings and the last emotions of um, dead human beings are recorded in the stone. And the people who gather there are trying to find a new recording medium to beat magnetic tape. 
and find this quite nasty, um, malevolent spirit living inside the walls of this um, old castle. Now, I know David's a bit of a fan of this one because he had a crush on the guy who plays the main character, but I, I rewatched it because of David, and um, yeah, it, it kind of holds up. Any Nigel Neal's good. Good Nigel Neal is better, and I think this one, uh, though the concept itself is a bit challenging at times, and there's a lot of shouting, and, and there's a very couple of very shouty characters in it. I think it works. It's a good, very different take on ghost stories, and it works. Uh, I don't think it's the best Nigel Neal we get there. Quatermass and a few other things superseded, but it's worth checking out if you haven't. It is available through means both um, above the ground and subterranean, and you might want to see that in case you haven't. I then watched the 1962 Day of the Triffids, which is kind of kind of works. There are there are scenes in there that work really effectively. They couldn't do anything near the um, kind of showing the disaster that occurs when the Triffids attack and a media shower blinds almost everybody in the world. But they do a pretty good job. The miniseries, uh, done, I think, in the 1980s by the BBC, is better and is given more room to um, play with the ideas and is much truer to the original John Wyndham novel. But this one's pretty good. Uh, Howard Keel's in it, uh, Nicole Morey, a few other people. I think Kieran Moore and Jeanette Scott are in it. Um, the Kieran Moore and Jeanette Scott scenes are kind of added on to give a happy ending to uh, the cosy catastrophe that John Wyndham posited in the original work. But it's um, nice to revisit it. I saw it on Tubi, which is the free streaming service here in Australia. The print wasn't as fantastic as some of the other prints, including the one that I've got on disc. But I was just noodling through the menus, as one does, and I thought, I'll give that a go and watch it. And it wasn't a waste of time at all. I then went back to the 1980s for a couple of Charles Band movies, Trances and Trances 2, which were originally known in Australia as Future Cop, starring Tim Thomason as uh, Jack Death, a guy from the future who comes back in time to stop the villain from killing the ancestors of the people who are running the city-state of Los Angeles which uh, was rebuilt after Los Angeles sunk under the ocean, which is something that probably will happen with climate change. But yeah, it's the usual kind of VHS-era Charles Band stuff. Tim Thomason makes it work. We also have, early in her career, Helen Hunt playing his love interest. Uh, we have a few people. Uh, it was written by Paul DeMio and Danny Bilson, who did the TV series of The Flash in 1990. And those guys were a lot of fun. They did a few fun movies, including this one and Zone Troopers, which I've talked about on the podcast before, and revisiting Trances 1 and 2. After Trances 3, the fourth one is a kind of piece together out of previous footage movie, so I wouldn't bother with the fourth one. But I may well go back and watch the third one again. I don't remember much about it, but I kind of that's a com- it's a comfort zone for me, those kind of 1980s VHS era movies that aren't high budget and aren't kind of high concept particularly but are a lot of fun i also watched for abc radio the usual weekly radio gig i watched the crow the 1994 alex Proust movie starring brandon lee the movie in which he died unfortunately because 
they fucked up with the squibs and a gun. And um, it was crazily popular with goths and people who wanted to be goths. Uh, you know, a, a guy's girlfriend gets raped and killed and he gets thrown out of a window and dies and a year later he comes back to wreak revenge. So basically there's a women in refrigerator narrative. Brandon Lee isn't bad in the movie, but I don't think that his acting chops were great, um, with all due respect to the dead guy. Uh, I had, had a chat with her, with Rebecca McLaren. She's a big fan of the movie. She's got it on VHS. That's how big a fan she is. And we kind of disagreed on that. I kind of said I kind of respected that other people had a different experience of it. There are certain movies that you love without too much criticism because you saw them at a certain stage of your life and they were very influential on your life because of that. And so I kind of respected that. I was, I was nicer than I normally am. And I watched it, but for me, it doesn't work. I'm not really in love with Alice Preuss as a director. I like Dark City, and I like Knowing, and a couple of other things. I kind of even like Gods of Egypt, which is totally fucking crazy and over the top and silly and badly done. Uh, Alex Preuss blocked me on Facebook because I said, you probably don't want to have a go at the critics and argue with every person who didn't like your movie because it may not help your career. And he blocked me on Facebook. I was very polite. I was kind of courteous about it, which is, again, slightly unusual for me. But I did it, and I got blocked by Alex Preuss, so that's his loss. It's not mine. There were three sequels to The Crow in a TV series, but the less said about them, the better. And I think that that kind of narrative has been done so many times that this movie's kind of in the middle of a sandwich of cliches. It's not a particularly savoury piece of filling for that cliché to extend the analogy again. I did see a couple of other things. We're going to keep you those for a future podcast and also for the um, ABC, well, not for the ABC, sorry, for the YouTube channel because I'm doing something on groovy 1960s science fiction movies for the YouTube channel and I'm deep in the guts of the research for that at the moment. So anyway, I'm going to play you the trailer for season five of Black Mirror, which comprises three episodes. Then I'll do a bit of a breakdown of each of the episodes so we can see... What worked, what didn't work, and why. There's a whole load of police here. You think they're worried you're gonna hurt yourself? Or someone else? Lonely feelings. Family life? It's boring. Lonely feelings. So here she is again. What is it? To me? Lonely feeling. I don't have any friends. Rachel, you look incredible. You've got 20,000 fans out there. Knock them dead. You have to brace yourself. It's not a doll. That thing was a poison. Pull out whatever we can get on this guy. Everywhere you look, people are hooked on the things!
I like Charlie Brooker's Black Mirror. It's everything that the Jordan Peele reboot of The Twilight Zone wants to be but isn't. After Netflix released Bandersnatch, the interactive episode, in 2018, Series 5 has just three episodes in it but their choice. The first one deals with human sexuality and the impact that technology has on that. The second one is about social media platforms and the dangers of them increasingly trying to be a part of your life and to increase the sense of urgency when alerts are given on those social media platforms and when what the negative consequences are of that get and retain our attention so that they can then sell advertisements on those platforms. The third one is about social media to a certain extent and also about the pop princess phenomenon and how a fan base can be manipulated and the negative consequences not only on the people who idolise pop idols but on the people, the idols themselves and the pressures brought to bear when they want to change the direction of their careers. So they're all pretty contemporary um, themes in there, which is one of the things that Black Mirror does brilliantly, is takes a social media phenomenon or a ph- modern phenomenon that hasn't previously existed and then looks at it from a dark angle. Now, there have been optimistic ones like Sh- San Junipero, which is a love story in virtual reality, which is brilliant. But these three are interesting because the first and the third ones have satisfying resolutions the second one not so much and all of them have that lovely virtue of taking that look at modern phenomena and running with it in a direction you don't expect in charlie brooker's black mirror the people you think are the protagonists are sometimes the antagonists and the people you think are the bad guys are sometimes not that. That moral complexity is woven deeply into the fabric of these five series. And I love that. I love the fact that at the start of the show, you don't know whether somebody's going to end up being the bad guy or not. And then sometimes the resolutions to the plot lines come from a direction that I hadn't previously considered. I really love that. I hate cliches in movies and Uh, books and other media and Black Mirror is incredibly and surprisingly successful at avoiding those things. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the trailer for each episode and then I'm going to discuss each episode. Now this this will be spoilery so if you haven't watched season five of Black Mirror take three hours out watch it and then come back. After I do these three episodes, I'm also going to be looking at season three of Jessica Jones. So you might want to check that out as well. I'll be here. I'll wait the 16 hours it'll take you to watch all of those things. And then we can have a bit of a chat. So here is the trailer for the first of the three episodes of Black Mirror, uh, Striking Vipers, starring Anthony Mackie, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, and Nicole Bahari. The app says that we need to do it within an hour. Peak fertility. This ate so much, I don't know if I can. I'll only love Wanna know where I'm going after I leave here? Mariela. As the sea. You know the thing about you. Sometimes you just sort of go away. Sure. I love you till then. There's something going on. Something going on. That's what I said. 
Not one minute more. Nothing is going on. Surprise. This episode's got a real big buzz about it online, mostly because it does talk about the sexuality of uh, people of colour, in particular black men in America, and doesn't take a traditional viewpoint on that. Uh, The story's pretty simple. A guy called Danny lives with his wife, Theo, and their son, Tyler. They're trying to have a second child. His friend, Carl, who he hasn't seen in about 10 years, they used to play video games together, introduces him to a virtual reality game called Striking Vipers X. And he gets a bit surprised when he opens the packet, he puts the cartridge into the handset and puts a little bead against his forehead. And the game is immersive. Basically, it taps into your brain. And he finds out that when you're in this fighting game, it's a little bit like Mortal Kombat. It's a Mortal Kombat-style fighting game. And he finds out that he can feel the punches and, and gets hurt, feels the pain when his character gets hit. And he's a little bit surprised as well because his friend, Carl, is playing a female character in the game, which makes it kind of interesting. The female character is paid by um, Pom Clementiev, who was Mantis in Guardians of the Galaxy. And he plays a character, um, a male Asian fighter, played by an actor called Ludi Lin. So they do a lot of kind of um, in-game fighting. And they, they feel the pain, and when they get knocked over, they, they get a pain as well. And then, unexpectedly, the female character in the game kisses him, and he can feel that as well. And the two characters in the virtual game, played by two heterosexual, well, ostensibly heterosexual men in real life, have sex. And it's really, really, really good sex for them. And then they have to kind of deal with that, and deal with it in the context of, is it actually adultery? Is it betraying your partner to have sex in a game? Or is it something else entirely? Um, and uh, Danny is having trouble because his wife wants to get this new baby happening. And he's kind of worn out from the orgasms he has in-game. And so there's a tension between them. She thinks he's having an affair. He tells her he's not. And eventually he gets to the stage where after he's um, been in the game having sex in various different locations with the character who is actually his friend Carl, he then takes a break from it. He and his wife have a child. And um, about a year later on his next birthday, his wife invites Carl over to their place and they have dinner together, but it's very strained because... Danny doesn't want to have to deal with Carl or deal with the implications of Carl being part of his life. And Carl tells him that he's been trying to have kind of virtual sex with other people. It hasn't really been good for him in that. He even has sex with one of the characters who's a polar bear. He's just saying, this is a new frontier. This is something totally different. This is something that really we have to talk about. And they eventually... um, have a confrontation, get arrested by the police for having a punch-up on a rainy street, and Theo finds out about their past together, their virtual past together, and the movie, well, it is kind of a movie, it's only about an hour long, but in a sense it's a complete film, 
Well, the episode ends with a rather novel way of dealing with this particular dilemma. And because of that, and because of the even just the theme of this particular episode, you realise that, yes, this is a, a show made by um, an English production company and written by an Englishman. It's, it's something that wouldn't necessarily have come out of the old um, TV network system because there are issues here and there are ways of looking at things here and there are implications here that network television, even in things like the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone, I'm going to be referencing that a few times, just wouldn't happen. They There are areas in this particular episode, Striking Vipers, where they won't go. Streaming platform like Netflix, they'll go there. You know, they will pick up a global audience for this kind of thing. There's already an invested audience in Black Mirror and the kind of wonderfully weird and interactive episode Bandersnatch has only increased that the other good thing is the acting is totally there Anthony Mackie of course who plays the Falcon in the MCU and uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II played Black Manta in Aquaman so pretty much almost everybody in this including Pom Kementriev have been in some kind of superhero movie and that's kind of cool and it also kind of opens things up yes I'm going to see that thing with Anthony Mackie in it on Black Mirror and then it takes you into this world where it's it kind of questions a lot of things you know are, what the straight what does gay what does fidelity mean in a virtual environment and can people's sexuality change while they're in that virtual environment and what are the implications of somebody being say attracted to his friend but only when they're having sex in a virtual environment there are so many questions opened up by this and there are kind of ways of expressing human sexuality for which we don't yet have terms and that's the interesting thing about this there's no real name for the relationship that danny and carl have in this episode it's really interesting from that point of view and those questions are just so important as we move further into that kind of thing. I mean, people are talking about robot sex dolls and things like that with some form of AI attached to them in the future. And that, again, is going to raise issues with us. And if we can directly tap into the brain and have people playing games that way, inevitably this kind of thing is going to happen. And how do we as a society manage that? And how do individuals in relationships manage that? And Black Mirror went there and gave us a kind of resolution, which is really, really cool and interesting, inclusive and unexpected, which then leads us to the second episode, Smithereens. And here is the trailer. Now, once more, return your attention to the breath. Airport. Yeah. Terminal 3. Do you work in that place? Smithereen, yeah. The sat-nav shown an accident coming up. Do you mind if I follow an alternate route it's shown me? Your mind may wonder. Jesus! Everywhere you look, people are hooked on the things! Simply watch it go. It's chain-smoking! Calmly. And without judgment. 
This one stars Andrew Scott, who played Moriarty in the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock series, and he's a really good actor at doing intensity. He plays a guy called Chris, who works for a taxi driver app called Hitcher, which of course is an Uber surrogate. Um, he goes to a group therapy session where he meets a woman who talks about her daughter's suicide 18 months before. He has sex with her and she then shows him that she's trying to attempt to access her daughter's account on a social media platform called Persona. And she gets two tries a day before it locks her out. She wants to understand why her daughter committed suicide. So Chris is kind of dodgy in the way he's doing his job with Hitcher because he always sits outside the one building, which is the building that houses a company called Smithereen, which is the major social media platform in the universe, this one posits. There's no future technology in this one. It uses contemporary technology, but in a very different way. It could be said in modern times, except the names have been changed to protect the guilty. Chris asks all of the people he gets, gives a ride to whether they work at Smithereen. And finally, he gets a guy called Jaden, uh, a black guy, a young guy in a suit, and he, while Jaden is inattentively looking at his phone, he drives him into the countryside and kidnaps him. Chris tells Jaden that he wants Jaden to get him to talk to Billy Bauer, the CEO of Smithereens. He doesn't tell him why, he just says, I want to talk to your boss, I want to talk to Billy Bauer, and then I'll let you go. Because of certain circumstances, um, Chris has to drive Jaden through the city and into the countryside again with a bag over his head, and unfortunately he is seen by police with a guy in the back seat with a bag on his head and tied up, and it becomes a hostage situation in the middle of a paddock in the countryside. There are snipers, there's a hostage negotiator, and there's Chris with a mobile phone, and he finally gets Jaden to talk to his supervisor who sends things up the chain, and the social media director of smithereens starts managing things much better than the police or even the fbi can handle it because they have access to tons more data because of their social media platform than any of the uh, law enforcement authorities have they're reluctant to get billy bauer on the phone because of liability issues and the problem starts escalating chris has a gun and the cops put in a hostage negotiator. Chris is a very intelligent man, and so he soon kind of gets rid of the hostage negotiator who's using hostage negotiation 101 tactics that anybody can look up on the internet to try to manage this really volatile situation. And uh, there are some really interesting bits in this one. For a start, we don't know too much about Chris apart from the fact that he has stress issues he listens to meditation apps which don't seem to be helping he's very edgy he's highly intelligent he's planned this out meticulously even though something does go wrong he does adapt to the situation and the people at smithereen start putting together a profile of him now the interesting thing here is it's a really detailed profile they say he's low income high intelligence therefore he's an angry man um, as a person who's fairly highly intelligent and very low income, 
I found that a bit objectionable until I realised further down the line in the episode that all of the readings they have of Chris are really inaccurate because they're making assumptions about him based on certain models they have. And the map is never the same as the territory. Chris isn't what they think he is. He isn't anywhere near who they think he is. None of this means he isn't dangerous. The guy who picks up Jaden is an intern. It's his first day at work. And he has to go to the airport to um, pick up something for one of his higher-ups. And he has very little power in the hierarchy of smithereen. And though it's not relevant at all, we do find out during the conversation that Jaden has with Chris that he's gay as well. Problems intensify and escalate. The snipers can't get a clear shot at Chris because of the way the car's positioned and the way that Chris keeps his head behind Jaden's until it gets to the stage where the people at Smithereen reveal that Billy Bower is actually on a meditation retreat out in the countryside. They need to send somebody down there with a phone because he's on a technology-free um, retreat on the side of a, in a building on the side of a mountain. And they have to get a phone to him so that he can then talk to Chris about whatever it is that Chris wants to discuss with him. And this brings up something else that I've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. People talk about technological detoxes and getting away from technology for a week, clearing your head, not using computers, not using the phone, not using social media at all, and just chilling out. And when I was having this discussion on on a thread on social media, oddly enough, It was pointed out that only wealthy people can do that. Nobody else can afford to take a technological holiday. A lot of people need their phones and their technology for work. They needed to order things. They needed to buy things. They needed to pay bills. They just don't have the breathing space in this day and age to have a break from technology. And that was a really interesting thing, which played into the events that occur in Smithereens. Eventually, Chris does get to talk to Billy Bauer, and they find a couple of interesting things, one of which is that Billy Bauer isn't the bad guy. Yes, he created a platform uh, of social media. He created Smithereen and became insanely wealthy for it, but he's a, still a person. He still understands people. He reads people really well. He understands that there's something more to Chris than the pure statistics he's being fed by his people indicate, and they have a, a genuine, unmediated conversation with each other as a part of the episode, and we find out what Chris's motivations actually are. And they're nothing at all like anybody has seen before in the episode or has posited about him. Now, that part I'm not going to spoil because I think it's important that you kind of have go through that journey yourself. But nonetheless, it does give us, again, that wonderful Black Mirror um, reveal of, in very fine granular detail, exactly what certain kinds of technologies do to our day-to-day interactions and to our day-to-day lives, and that under certain extreme circumstances, these technologies can have a profound effect on a human life, on the way they see themselves, the way they see the social media they use, and the way they then have to deal with things. And one of the nice things is that the woman, Haley, with the daughter who committed suicide, does ultimately get her closure as a part of the episode which is kind of nice and and kind of a grace note at the end of the episode which i appreciate if they had ended the episode 
at a point slightly before that, it would have been one thing, but then it became another. And we got an extra layer there, which is really great. Now, the acting in this is fantastic. Andrew Scott is terrific. Uh, Amanda Drew playing Haley, the woman with the suiciding daughter, is, is really real. Jaden, played by Damson Idris, is good. There's a female police officer in charge of the hostage thing, played by Monica Dolan, who is really on point. She's believable as a cop. She's uh, a kind of middle-aged woman. She's not young and, and pretty and a jogger or anything like that. And then we get um, Topher Grace playing Billy Bower, and he's really good in it. Um, I know he's Topher Grace has been a problematic person as a human being, but I think in this small role as an actor, he's on point, and he gives us an interesting CEO of this company who has a high level of emotional intelligence which is essential to the way that the story plays out. This is a, a solid episode. It's um, another one of these Black Mirror episodes that take what Charlie Brooker is trying to say that step further. It, it is an elaboration on his kind of... No, I'm not saying issues with technology, but with his examination of technology and examination of life in the technosphere of the 21st century. Now, there's a good score on this one by Ryuki Sakamoto, who did the score for Wild Palms way back in 1996, a TV miniseries of which I have a great love. Uh, this one works. It's got an international scope, but a very personal story as well. And the acting on it is really, really on point. There's not an unbelievable human being in any of this episode. One tiny bit. You should check it out. That then takes us to the third episode of Season 5 of Black Mirror, Rachel, Jack and Ashley 2, and here is the trailer. Who got Ashley in the house? The reason I'm here is to introduce to you Ashley 2. We are friends! It's really important to be who you want to be. Hey there, I'm Ashley 2. It's so great to meet you, Rachel. You too. I'll be here for I'll, you. I'll be here for you. She doesn't understand how fragile all this is. You think I should up the dose? Knock him dead. Believe in yourself. I'm getting so hard to keep doing this. Believe in yourself. Ashley. Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Believe, believe in yourself. Ah! Get the cable out of my ass! Holy shit! Pull it out! Oh, God, that's a relief. We are friends. As often happens in Black Mirror, this one harks back to a technology from an earlier episode in the series. This one being um, the Christmas episode, White Christmas, from 2014, which introduced us to a technology called a cookie, which is a digital copy of people, which is um, in an egg-shaped device. There are various uses for it. The episode itself uses it twice. The first time to create a digital assistant for a very busy businesswoman played by Una Chaplin. And that's a very nightmarish episode. It also stars John Hamm in it. Now, the episode has three stories uh, with a frame story around them with Rafe Spall and John Hamm making Christmas dinner in a cabin on Christmas Day. The second use of the cookie is to gain a confession from Rafe Spall's character Joe for uh, a murder and a wrongful death that occur in his backstory. 
In White Christmas, the episodes give us the idea of time ramping where for the digital copy of a person in the digital environment in which they manifest, they can ramp up time so that in objective reality, the digital copy is moving three or four hundred or three or four thousand or three or four million times as fast. So duration to the digital copy is manipulable by the people in the real world. And the White Christmas episode gives us that technology being used for good and for ill. But in Rachel Jack and Ashley too, there's a kind of subtly use of the cookie technology, which makes this episode not as dark as the previous manifestations of that technology, but nonetheless kind of interesting. The character of Rachel, played by Australian actor Anguri Rice, lives with her older sister Jack and her father Kevin. Uh, their mothers died several years ago. Kevin's got an extermination business, which he's trying to expand into technological realms by finding mouse traps, by creating mouse traps that basically stun mice with tasers, so that they can be gotten rid of. And there's a lot of mice dying while the father's doing this experimentation. Now, Rachel's a very withdrawn child, a teenager, and she's really um, infatuated with a pop star, Ashley O, played by Miley Cyrus. Now, before you get on the Miley Cyrus bandwagon, she does a good job in this. So, no dissing there. Rachel's infatuated with Ashley O and uses the kind of platitudes that pop stars of that type give to people as empowerment to try to improve her life. The platitudes are fairly empty the way these things often are. And as the episode progresses, we find out the reasons why. As a part of her obsession with Ashley, Rachel asks her father to get her an Ashley 2 doll, which is an AI doll, which is a kind of digital assistant Ashley clone almost. And we only find out later that it actually uses the cookie technology. It's kind of you know, cute. It's a very kind of chibi style manifestation of Ashley, the pop star herself with the same pink purple hair and the same attitude and the same voice. And it kind of, you know, it kind of helps her out, but is still very limited in being an AI. Rachel, with the assistance of Ashley 2, tries to audition for a school music gig and doesn't do very well with it because of an accident. And so her sister, Jack, who loves her very much, hides the Ashley 2 doll and says that she threw it out um, the father's pissed off Rachel's pissed off but they kind of move on on the other side of things the real Ashley is managed by her aunt Catherine played by Susan Pufea and she's being manipulated by her aunt she finds out eventually that there have been kind of mood controlling drugs put into her food and you know, mood elevators and, and things to basically keep her under control so that they can maintain this enormous industry of Ashley while keeping the real Ashley within certain boundaries that the demographics say she's got to stay in. She wants to expand her music into other realms and this is kind of being discouraged chemically by her aunt and her management. When Ashley discovers this and decides to go public and she's becoming 25 and she'll have all of the rights to her own intellectual properties... A little bit before that, her aunt overdoses her with these drugs they've been feeding her and she falls into a coma. They then scan her brain 
and use her subconscious mind to keep the songs coming and to create a virtual Ashley that they can use in concerts using the subconscious mind of the Ashley that's in a coma. The pop industry sucks. Meanwhile, the um, doll that's kept by Rachel and Jack isn't recalled like all of the other dolls are because of an ostensible glitch on them because the dolls start freaking out when they see that actually the original actually has gone into a coma and it's seen as a software error on the PR side of things at least. But this one, was because it was ostensibly thrown out, survives. They plug it in. The doll finds out that Ashley's in a coma and freaks out. Now, Jack's a bit of a techno nerd, so she hooks the doll up to a diagnostic piece of software and finds a blockage in the um, data matrix of the doll. She gets rid of that and finds out that the doll is actually a cookie of the original Ashley and not just an AI-created software. It's an actual virtual copy of the real Ashley. Figuring out what's happened to the real Ashley, Ashley 2, Jack and Rachel decide that they've got to rescue Ashley and defeat the bad guys. And that's pretty much what happens in the episode. It's a very dark in some places, but very upbeat episode as well. And it works well. Um, Anguri Rice and, and Madison Davenport as the two girls are fine. They work really well. Uh, Miley Cyrus, who's given a kind of less nuanced role than the other two, does a fine job on it. She does what's supposed to be done there. She does the rage properly. She does the um, pop princess thing properly. And it kind of works. Now, this is very much a, a different one. Uh, it was based on a comedy sitcom script that Charlie Brooker wrote years ago about a punk band who are hanged by a conservative government and later return to life to see their manager exploiting their deaths for profit. So it's Charlie Brooker reusing material that didn't work before. And it works. It um, really does give us this idea of, of the kind of steamroller that the pop music industry is and the way that uh, people like Miley Cyrus in the past, of course, and Beyonce and Katy Perry are put up with these paradigms of virtue where that might not necessarily be the case in real life and that the messages they send out are often very simplistic and don't translate well to the lives of the people who are influenced by their utterances in the same way that people who kind of believe the aphorisms that come out of other people like Oprah or even in you know Donald Trump for that matter are kind of being misguided and the simpl the simplistic nature of these messages really doesn't work well in the real world context but this one's fun it works well there's a couple of inventive bits as the three mismatched um two girls and a kind of AI robot go to rescue a pop star um there's, there's some kind of silly bits there that are a bit of fun and it's a nice way to end the the trilogy that is episode uh, series five of black mirror you start out with the one you know talking about male sexuality and diversity and cyber sex and all those sorts of things you get the second one which talks about the pervasiveness of social media then you get this one which talks about the way that people are manipulated by popular culture so it's very thematically interesting and it works for me uh, you can watch them all in about three hours which is about as long as watching avengers endgame another time and i think it's really rewarding and it 
does what Black Mirror does best, which is it asks questions that don't have easy answers and may not even be sufficiently answered by the episodes, but get us thinking about these questions and about how we're personally going to deal with them, how we're going to deal with the possibilities raised by sexualized technologies, social media, and the popular culture that we all inevitably consume. So again, they're timely kind of things to think about. And Charlie Brooker puts them into a very, very entertaining package. And I look forward to further series of Black Mirror, where I know I'm going to be terrified, horrified, made to think, and entertained all at the same time. This is one of the hallmark series of science fiction media in our age. It really does give us five seasons and a couple of specials that are incredibly timely. They're interesting. They don't go for easy answers ever. And they show us both the potentials and the perils of living in an age where technology seeps into every aspect of our lives. So I'm going to end the podcast there. I will talk about Jessica Jones in the next Martian Driving podcast, but I'll finish this one here because I don't want to kind of rush the Jessica Jones thing. There's a couple of episodes I want to rewatch before I talk about them just to get the full gist of it and kind of give that a little bit more to work with. So what I'll do is this. I'll talk about Jessica Jones Series 3 and winding up the Netflix MCU um, agreement. And I'll put in another movie as well in the next episode. And I will make sure it's in two weeks. Uh, I've been a little slack with the schedules because I've been a bit unwell. But I will be picking it up from here on in. So anyway, thank you for listening. Um, Thanks again to the Patreon supporters who are enormously wonderful people and whose virtues cannot be overstated under any circumstances ever in the history of the universe. Um, I will be back. I'll be putting out a YouTube video in a few days, which will be about groovy 1960s science fiction movies because that's one of my passions of course so anyway in the meantime watch good movies watch bad movies watch all kinds of movies except maybe that adam sandler thing with jennifer aniston that's on netflix avoid that one and i'll be back soon so take care of yourself stay warm if you're down here stay cool if you're up there and i will play you the credits now to honor the patreon supporters And after that, I might throw in a little bit of music as well, just as a post-credit sequence. Take care, and I'll catch you later. Here are the credits for Paleo Cinema Podcast and Martian Driving Podcast, done in the style of movie credits to honour the people who support this podcast. Thank you to Tom, the focus puller, Sarah, the special effects technician, Ian, the caterer, Grant, the technicolor consultant, Claire, the script doctor, Gary the prop master Morris the musical director Jan the dialect coach Arm and our key grip Matt the rattlesnake wrangler Elaine our scientific advisor Julia our casting director Chris our camera operator Christopher our gaffer Miss Jane our wardrobe mistress Tansy our foley artist Alyssa our location scout Mark, our second unit director. Paul, our special makeup effects director. Tammy, the donut wrangler. Tim, our New York unit director. Rabbi Steve, our spiritual advisor. Uh, Steve Sullivan, our director of monster effects. Dylan, our goat wrangler. 
Eric, our set security lead, Richard H., our set photographer, Mark D., our extra, and David L., our extra, Kerry H., who is the accountant, and our newest supporter, Gary J., who is a CGFX technician. So thank you very much to all of the supporters of the podcast. We really appreciate you dipping into your purses and helping out with the podcast. Of time.